Okay, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my husband, Scotty. Come on up. Scott, what are you speaking? What's your title today? Living the right life, even in secret. Okay. Good luck with that. Thank you. (laughs) The support of a wife is a wonderful thing. (laughs) Right, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you here. As, as we might have seen, if you've been here yesterday, Katie and I have been asked to host this seminar stream this week on um, real life, real questions, real answers. This seminar stream came out of the response cards from last year, looking at the themes of the biggest issues that people were raising that they wanted dealt with at New Day. So that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the, the, secrets, side, um, the secrets and living life in, uh, in secret in the right way. So... Katie and I moved to Lancaster. Does anyone know where Lancaster is? Yeah. Three of us. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, if you keep on going north, and just before you hit the Lake District, there's Lancaster. And we moved there in 2008 to plant a church plant a year after we got uh, married. And there were six of us who started in a lounge um, feeling really, really daft, um, praying that God would do something amazing in our city. And we've been so blessed to see that um, the grace of God has been powerfully at work. And since then, we've seen a, a number of other church plants in and around our area that we've been either indirectly or directly involved in. So there's other places like Christchurch, Blackpool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there's one person in that church plant. Um, <laughs> um, Christ Central Preston. Two people in that one. <laughs> and, um, and also we planted church in Gothenburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that gets a bit more of a woo. <laughs> but really, really exciting to see that actually in a short space of time, God has been incredibly gracious to us. And what I want to say right from the start is it can sound amazingly impressive. You can maybe be thinking, oh, wow, Scott must be a really impressive individual to have been involved in that. And can I just reassure you, I'm, I'm really, really not. Um, that it is a testament to the power and grace of God at work that churches are planted, people are saved, and the gospel is preached. And you know what? There's a message today that I want people to hear, which is God is a God of grace. And actually, that is our knowledge. So we started um, meeting publicly in Lancaster in about 2011. Um, and that was about two weeks or so before our first son was born. Um, just a top tip for you. If you're going to plant a church, don't have a baby at the same time. Very, very stupid. Um, but he was born. And you know what? Max has taught me some wonderful lessons about life. Um, he's now five, so he's over at the kids' work today. He's enjoying himself a lot. But... Um, he taught me something about secrets sometimes can go public, secrets sometimes can go viral. And um, I remember one bedtime, and I put Max to bed um, most nights if I'm around. And often at night, because he wants to stay up a bit longer, um, he will ask questions of deep theological significance, such as, Daddy, when is Jesus going to return? <laughs> or, Daddy, what did Jesus do on the cross? All of the questions that he knows uh, will take me a bit longer to answer, will give him a bit longer staying up before he goes to sleep. But faithfully, about probably a year ago, Kate, about a year ago, Max asked me um, the question that, that every parent thinks the child will ask them, but probably around about seven or eight, not around about four. And he said, Daddy, where do babies come from? And um, 
Kate and I have always talked about this. We're going to be straight with our kids. We're going to tell them. We're not, we're not going to hold back. And obviously, as much as I could hear that voice in my mind saying, we're going to tell him straight. I was also thinking, he's four, so how do I explain this to him? Um, so, so I went about it in the best way that I possibly could, you know. And I think, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you how these things happen. Um, so please don't report me to... Is there anyone from social services in here today? <laughs> please don't report me. But, um, but I, I told him what was happening, and he kind of just kind of went like that, nodded, went, yeah, okay, okay, I get that, get that, okay. And then, okay, do you want to ask anything else, Max? No, no, that's all right, okay, God bless you, night, 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 goes to sleep. Anyway, I went to work the next morning, I got a phone call from Kate saying, um, Max, Max has been saying some really strange things this morning. And I was like, what do you mean, what do you mean? He, he got up and he was in tears because he said, Mummy, I don't want my balls to turn into babies. <laughs> epic parenting fail (laughs) so um so there was i think in a little one-to-one conversation my son would never go viral at new day but there you go daddy i don't want my balls to turn into babies never mind so um (laughs) so what what is it about today living the right life even in secret now the what the point i want to start with is is a really harsh one And in Luke, Jesus, in the book of Luke, Jesus says this, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. We're told numerous times in the Bible that God sees everything. In Matthew chapter 6, what we're told is a number of things that Jesus encouraged us to do. He says, well, when you pray or when you fast or when you give and all of this, he says, do it in secret. So not only is there things that can go bad in secret, but there's things that can honor God in secret. And he says, when you do these things, do them in secret. And then it says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we're going to have a little look at the life of David, but I also want to share a bit of my testimony today to look at what does that look like? What does looking, living the right life in secret mean? And how do we even do that? What's the point of it? And I want to start by letting you know that uh, a number of years ago, um, I, I went to Stonely, much like Andy talked about yesterday, a Bible camp much like this. And actually, when I was 14, I remember meeting God powerfully in a shed like this. It was quite a bit bigger than this one. But I remember meeting God for the first time. I remember being in a shed where just feeling... It was very odd because I was a teenager and I wasn't clean at all. I wasn't a clean teenager. I was a smelly one. And, um, and I remember just feeling clean from head to toe. And I remember having been camping for five or six days. I struggle to not smell as it is already when we're on day three. But I remember feeling clean head to toe because God had made me feel clean. And actually what happened is I walked out of that room and I, I felt a lightness in my spirit. I felt amazing. I felt, wow, God's made me right. God's, God's done something in my life. He's, he's made me new. And actually what happened after that was I had no rooting, no grounding. And you know what? I fell away from God. I fell away quite badly. I, as a, as a 16-year-old in particular, I got involved in a, in a relationship that I shouldn't have got involved in. I um, went the whole way, and I did everything you're not supposed to do in a relationship. I, after that relationship finished, and it was a very difficult one, I remember being very, very depressed 
very, very low and turn into drinking with friends and trying to fill a gap in my life where I was just unhappy and unsatisfied. And what happened was when I was about 17, I went back to a youth group meeting, which actually my youth group leaders just sat over here from that time, which is amazing. But I went back to a youth group meeting. I'll never forget, I heard the message of the grace of God for me. And it totally changed my life. Because what happened was I found out that there was a God who loved me no matter what. A God that accepted me no matter what. A God that said, I welcome you no matter what. Even when I was asking the question, what even me, even rotten old me, even disgusting me with all my sin and all the hurt I've caused people and all the pain I've caused people. Yeah, even you. And do you know what? This message of the grace of God is the key, is the secret, is the ingredient that if you want to live the right life in secret, I could tell you all day how to slightly suppress your passions. I could tell you all day this is how you somehow reduce the cravings to do sins, but that isn't the answer. The answer isn't to try and become better. The answer isn't to try and stop doing naughty things. The answer is to find a greater passion. It's not that your passions are too strong. I've had recently a number of people talk to me uh, in a pastoral context at my home church with people struggling with things like pornography addictions. And what what they say is the, the temptation is too great. I can't handle it. It's too big. I can't escape it. I'm addicted to it. And do you know what? The answer time and time again is the, the temptation isn't too great. The pull of that temptation isn't too great. Your passion is too weak. You see, Jesus died for us on a cross, not so that we'd just dribble through a life trying to avoid sin. He died for us on a cross that we might live in victory with him, that we might have a relationship with him that changed every single day of our lives, that changed our motivations, that changes our passions, that changes what we live for, that changes everything. You see, time and time again in Scripture, we see this analogy that Jesus, um, uh, Jesus talks about, Paul talks about, and is through the prophets. And what we see is the, the example of a marriage. And the example that we see comes out in places like Ephesians, where, where Paul says that somehow... Marriage is a representation of Christ and the church. And he says, this is a profound mystery. Some of you might have heard of the story of Hosea, where Hosea marries a, an adulterous woman. And basically, he lives out a prophecy. He marries an adulterous woman who then cheats on him with other people. And then what God says through him is he says, you, my people, this is like you. I'm, I'm the loving husband that's always calling you, saying, be in relationship with me. Love me. Come, walk with me. And you can sometimes be like the adulterous wife who wanders out promiscuously sleeping around and breaking the heart of God. And do you know what? What we see in marriage is an intimacy We see an exclusivity. We see two becoming one. We see a joy. We see a closeness. And you know what? I remember when I was 17, I remember just going, do you know what, God? I 
I love you so much, but I'm desperate for a wife. I'm desperate to share my life with someone. I'm desperate to even just have a cuddle at night, that closeness, that intimacy. And that longing and that urge was deep within me. But do you know what? Right where you are right now, actually the truth is this, is that that, that marriage is just a representation, is just a dim, temporal thing. It's something that will be done away with. Marriage won't exist forever. Jesus says it won't exist forever. But that same passion, that same desire, that same intimacy that so many of us crave for, the answer is found in a relationship with Jesus. That is the place where we find all the satisfaction for our cravings, for our desires. That is the place where we find this connection that sustains us through everything else. You see, Jesus, in John chapter 4, talks to a woman at a well, and he says this to her. He says, he says will you give me a drink? He's at a well. And she says, I'm, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. you shouldn't even be talking to me. And then later on, The woman says to him, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? And Jesus answers this. He says, the water I'm I'm talking about has nothing to do with real water. It says, everyone drinks this water will be thirsty again. The water eternal life. You see, Jesus gives satisfaction like nothing else can. And there'll be desires, there'll be passions that you have. But none of them get anywhere close to the beauty and the power of knowing Jesus as your saviour. And I want to talk a little bit today about the example of David and why in particular David um, struggled with this. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm just to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to go to. Can you all still hear me all right? Yeah. So 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is a story many of you all know about. It's about David and Bathsheba. And this shows you a little bit about what we mean by secrecy and passion and the right life. So let's have a quick look. So in chapter 11 verse uh, 1, we're going to start off there and we're just going to read a couple of verses. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So just to get this, everyone was at war, all the kings should be at war, David had copped out. He'd basically stayed back at home. So David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent some, someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages, messengers to, to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. So what happens here is that David chooses not to go to war, chooses to cop out of, of a fight, and then he's walking around on his roof, to be honest, of getting up out of his bed a bit bored. Fundamentally, what happened is he copped out of a fight and he was bored. And what this led to was him seeing, he looks and he sees something that captures a desire in his heart. 
and he captures his intention, which is a beautiful married woman. Then what he does, and this is the amazing thing about this, is that he sends people who become complicit in his sin. He sends people who, he says, can you go and get her and bring her over here? So do you know what? Living life in secret isn't necessarily on your own in your bedroom. Living life in secret in a way that's not honoring to God can sometimes be doing things with certain friends that you may not do with others. It may be living your life slightly duplicitously. So living one way with one group of people and living another way with another. And what David did here with power as a king... These messengers served him. They would honor him. He knew nothing would come back. So he was able to live his life without integrity in front of them. So he sends off for her to come back. And then we find out later that Bathsheba becomes pregnant. So then he tries to cover this up. And further along in the chapter we hear what he does is he invites Uriah the Hittite to come back from war. And what he's trying to do is he's basically trying to get Uriah the Hittite to come back and sleep with his wife to pretend that it wasn't his baby. Very, very wicked. And then Uriah, out of very noble intent, says, how, how on earth can I go back and sleep with my wife while all my friends, all my colleagues, all my, all my soldiers are at war? How on earth can I do that? So I'm going to sleep on the doorstep and I'm not going to go into the house. So David hatches this plan to get Uriah the Hittite to come back to say, well, actually, Bathsheba is now pregnant. It was Uriah the Hittite. Fantastic. I'm off the hook. No one noticed. No one else found out. And actually what happens is he then gets more people involved in his sin. So sometimes when, when you can sin, one sin can lead to another. You can, you can lie about one thing and that might lead to another lie. And here what David does is he then says, well, actually, I want you to send Uriah the Hittite to the front line of the warfare where the warfare is the worst and then leave him there on his own to die. So not only does David commit adultery, he effectively commits murder as well by allowing Uriah to go out and do that. You see, the great thing about this is that even an adulterous murderer can receive the grace and compassion of a loving God. Because actually what happens is Nathan comes to David as a prophet, and we read in chapter 12 actually, that Nathan comes and brings a word to David. And what he basically says is, you did it. I know you did it. God told me you did it. And God is not happy. And that is exactly what happens to David. God is not happy. Now, some of you will be in a position where God is not happy. You know what you're doing isn't pleasing to him. And you know what? That doesn't devalue the grace of God at all. It doesn't devalue how much God loves you. And there is no sin that you can go through that isn't possible for the grace of God to overwhelm. So even adulterous murderer, what happens here is that David falls on his knees and repents. And Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance from David. So if you want to turn to Psalm 51, I want to show you one of the, this is the secret, some of the secret 
that we're going to pick out of how do I combat this sin in the quiet? What happens when I let God down? What happens when I let myself down? And you know what? I've been in this place many times, and Psalm 51 has been, has, has been a wonderful refuge for me, has been a great place to go when I've struggled with sin. And it's a prayer of repentance from David about this situation. And what he says in verse 16 in Psalm 51 is this, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. David effectively says the whole sacrificial system that was set up in the Old Testament, that was set up by Moses, Moses, is not what God wants. It isn't what he wants. And this is one of the most controversial verses in the Old Testament. Because what he says is that will not bring joy to God. And he goes on to say what will. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice... Oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You see, this issue is an issue of the heart. And David knew that. Even so much so that later on in Scripture in the New Testament, we refer to David as a man after God's own heart. How can we refer to an adulterous murderer as a man after God's own heart? Because he had this key. He knew that actually what God wanted from him was not perfect purity, but no relationship. He wanted a relationship with David. He wanted David's heart. He wanted David and him to be close and to love one another. And you see, this is the wonderful message of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of our Savior. In Romans chapter 7, we see that God um, has brought about the law for people. And the law tells us we do not measure up. The law tells us we don't hit the mark. The law tells us we have sinned. And what we're told in Romans chapter 7 is actually that the law will never, ever cease. There's something about the law, that standard that you're supposed to meet, that you will never, ever hit, and it will never, ever cease. And actually, Romans 7 says you're married to the law. It says that you have a marriage to the law, and the marriage can only end by death. And the law will never die, so you will die. And the glorious truth captured in Romans chapter 7, is that the requirements of the law have been fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. He was the only one who fulfilled the law fully. He was the only one who was holy. He was the only one who got it right. And you see, at the cross, what happens is this beautiful exchange. His righteousness got swapped for your filthy rags. And in that place, you have been given a new relationship, a new relationship to walk in grace. You're now married to, you're now married to another, which is Jesus. And he will tell you you're accepted. He will tell you you're forgiven. And some of you really need to hear that right here, right now today. Some of you have come into this room feeling a mess, feeling trapped, feeling like I'm stuck in a pattern of behavior that I cannot get out of. And actually the truth is that God loves you and he has grace for you. And there is grace for you today. And it's not something you have to work up. It's a positional truth. 
you have died to the law and you are now declared accepted, forgiven and loved. You see, most of us, though, go back to living a life as if we were still married to the law or as Romans 7 says it, as if we were still slaves to sin. But the truth is, God has made us alive in him and you are now a slave to righteousness. That's what Romans 7 said. If you've become a Christian, if you know him today, you are a slave to righteousness. In Psalm 119, I'm just going to quickly go through a couple of verses here. Verse 5, it says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Oh, that my ways were steadfast. I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of times through my life where I've, I've looked at my life and gone, oh, if only I could follow what God says. If only I could stop being such a dipstick and stop being such a slave sometimes to my desires and my passions. Oh, that I could do that. And do you know what? It's a universal challenge of purity for all of us. You're not alone if you feel that way. You are not alone. And he goes on to say in Psalm 119, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? And in this, in verse 9, we start to get the answer. And it says this, by living according to your word. By living according to your word. See, one of the things I realized that when I became, full, when I became a Christian when I was about 14, one of the things I found out during that time is that I had no basis in the Bible. I had no understanding of truth. I had no idea what Jesus had done for me. I had no idea who he was or what the Bible said about him. And you guys have got a wonderful opportunity early in your lives to pick up this and read it and understand it. And there's, there's a wonderful privilege that we have in this country, that we have multiple versions. You get the iPhone version of it. You can get Bible on your phone, Bible on your iPad, Bible everywhere. But rarely, rarely few of us consume this. And what I found at the age of 14 is that I didn't consume this. And what happened when trouble came, which always comes, when temptation comes, which always comes, I had no root. And you see... What I found when I, when I came back to God when I was 17 was that actually God gave me a passion for his word. So this is the first thing. How can a young man, how can a young woman stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? You need to absorb this. You need to be passionate about it. If you, are, if you want to find out how much God loves you, you read this. If you want to find out what it's like to live an exciting relationship with him, you read this. You understand it from there. So what is God's way? God's way is the message of grace and forgiveness. Secondly, later on in in Psalm 119, after it says, how can the young man stay on a path of purity? It says, I will seek you with all my heart, and I have hidden your word I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a proverb that says this, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. 
So why does scripture call David a man after God's heart? He was a murderer. He was an adulteress. Well, I believe it was his willingness, willingness to admit sin, to admit sin and to repent of it. So what was David's response to Nathan's uh, prophecy against him? He says this, I have sinned against the Lord. And that is step one to living a life that's in freedom. Step one to living a life that's in grace is to admit, I've sinned, I've fallen short of the grace of God. So I'm going to quickly conclude now. And I want, I want to say there's four things that we need if we want to fight, um, if we want to fight this pain and this problem of having hidden addiction and hidden sin. Firstly, you need grace. That's the first thing you need. I think sometimes it's really hard to forgive ourselves. And I remember as a young man really battling with things like pornography and really battling with hidden emotions in my mind. And do you know what? The only thing that sustained me through that time was knowing whenever I went back to God, there was always grace for me. It never ran out. That's what I learned, is that no matter how, how horrible my sin was, his grace was always bigger than it. His grace always was there. So you need more grace. You need to understand the grace of God in your life. Secondly, you need truth. And that's a twin element of saying, I know this and I understand it and I can put it into effect in my life. But secondly, truth, that helps you avoid sin. So what do I mean by that? Well, for instance, for me, it was the truth of understanding why is pornography a bad thing to, to look at? Or firstly, is that the way I should be looking at sisters in Christ? No, it's not. Is that the way I want to look at the world? No, it's not. Is this God's way of doing marriage? No, it's not. And actually, what I found myself with was armed with truth for each specific situation, for each specific temptation that I was going through. I remember once really, really battling with, with that issue as in, in my late teens. And I remember having had a period of, of long victory and, and feeling really good about not having looked at anything, having not fallen into temptation. And I remember actually being on a train um, going to work. So it must have been actually in my early 20s, going on a train, going to work. And um, I remember the person next to me, open sun, page three, right in front of me. I was like, that wasn't even my fault. I didn't even do that. I, I felt cheated. But actually, I know it sounds daft, but immediately I felt, funnily enough, because I'd resisted temptation, because I'd filled it with truth, I immediately felt sad. And the reason I felt sad was I thought, there's a beautiful woman, a picture of which is in a public newspaper, and that should be shared only with her husband. And that is the truth of God. You see, when this fills our minds, when this fills our hearts, it arms us against the enemy. The more you give in, the more it becomes normal, the more you excuse it, the more you feel it's okay. But truth comes against bad behavior. It comes against sin. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. But the more this gets a place in your heart, more relationship with God gets a place in your heart, the less space you have for lies and sin. Thirdly, you need to fight. See, David was led into sin as he copped out of a fight. And often, when we opt out of a fight, when we opt out of a mission, this leads to boredom. And do you know what? Some of us here are bored. 
Some of us have fallen into sin because we haven't got anything better to live our lives for. And do you know what? There are people out there today in your schools, in the places where you work, in the place that you connect with, who need to hear about Jesus. Can I tell you, one of the best fights against the life of sin is to start living for Jesus and go on that adventure. Try preaching the gospel. Try telling, telling your friends about Jesus. Try coming up to Lancaster and helping us plant a church again. Or try coming somewhere and get involved. Get on a mission. Tell people about Jesus. Encourage your friends. Go to your youth group. Pray for people in your youth group. Bring words over them. You see, we're on a mission with Jesus. Many of us are just flopping around in self-pity and in a spiral of sin. What you need is to be on an adventure with Jesus because that is what he has for you. Do you know what? Scripture says he knows the plans he has for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And also, he knows all the works that he's set up for you to walk in in advance. Do you know what? One of the best fights against an inward secret lifestyle of temptation is to make your secret life about mission. How are you praying in your secret time? How are you reading the word of God in your secret time? How are you giving your money in your secret time? That is mission with Jesus. And then lastly, I want to say this. And this is the biggest thing. This is the biggest key that I could hope to give you. How did I begin to resist um, temptation as, as a teenager? How did I do that as it was coming really hard? And I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've absolutely nailed it because I absolutely haven't. But what God has given me and what I have fostered in my heart is a huge love for Jesus. And do you know what? Your love for Jesus and your passion for him and your acknowledgement that he was the one who went to the cross, he washed your feet on the cross. That's what he did. He paid the price. He paid the debt that you couldn't pay for yourself. And he is passionate about you. He pursues you day after day. Even right now, he's looking at you with love and mercy. And in the book of Song of Solomon, there's a beautiful verse that says this. It's supposed to be a picture, a representation of God's love for us. It says, a glance of your eye, my my sister, my bride, a glance of your eye has encaptured my heart. And do you know what? That's the way God looks at you. When you glance your eye to him in worship, when you glance your eye to him in prayer, he's looking and it captures his heart. That is how passionate he is about you. And the more and more you realize just how passionate he is about you, the more and more you will become passionate for him. And the biggest thing you can do to help you resist temptation to help you do this is to realize actually my life isn't about resisting temptation my life isn't about trying to stop myself being naughty my life isn't trying to uh, cover every sin and go oh I'm terrible I'm awful do you know what that isn't what your life's about your life is about living in relationship with a savior who loved you and died for you and this savior has dealt with your past gives you strength for today and gives you hope for the future. That is your savior. That is the one who loves you. And what you need is not to squash the passions in your life. Some of you will be passionate. Some of you will feel a heartfelt yearning for certain things in this life. For me, it was a heartfelt yearning to be married, and I feel that in the wrong way sometimes. But do you know what? It's not about squashing those passions down and pushing them down. It's actually finding a greater passion. 
It's finding something that makes you want to live for him more and more and more. It's finding one who gave everything for you and you turn around and you say, do you know what? I can't help but do everything for you. That is my saviour. That's the one I want to serve. That's who I want to live for. So just to go over those again, you need grace, you need truth, you need to fight, and you need a bigger passion. Do you want to stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. I want us to respond to God through this message. I want us to come before him. You know why you've come into this room. I don't know why you've come here. I don't know what your motivation was for for seeing this message. It might be that you're not even here for yourself. You might be here for someone else, but but you know why you've come. And actually, I don't want to I don't want to pretend for a moment that I know why that is, but I want you to steady your heart before him and be honest with God right now of why you're here, why you want to respond to him now. Yeah, God, we, we say we're amazed by your love for us. We're amazed by your passion for us. Lord, I, I still, I'm often in tears Lord, uh, how you gave yourself for me and how you laid everything down for me. Lord, I'm often in wonder, Lord, that you resisted sin even to the point of death on a cross. Lord, sin didn't overcome you. You overcame it. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are more great and more powerful than, than I am. Lord, and I'm so sorry. Lord, for the times where I've let you down, Lord. And I want to say today, Lord, I repent of that. And I'm sorry, I admit, I've done wrong. Lord, and I've got it wrong often. And God, I want to say, Lord, that that is not who I want to be. I don't want to be someone defined by squashing sin down day after day. I don't want to be defined as someone who's just desperately living day after day in a trap and cycle of addiction and failure to meet the standards that I expect of myself, Lord. But I want to be someone living in the beauty and the glory and the wonder of what it is to be a child of God. Lord, I pray in this room right now, would you come, Lord, and fill this room with a passion for Jesus and a passion for his name. Lord, we pray, would you flood hearts in this place? Lord, every heart that says yes, every heart that says, I want to respond to that, would you flood hearts in this room with a passion for your name that is greater than any other drive in their lives, any other drive for money, for fame, for relationship, or for anything else? Lord Jesus, we say you are greater, more beautiful, more wonderful than any of those other idols that are around us. Lord, you are the one for us. Lord, would you come, Lord, and would you come and fill our hearts, Lord, again, Holy Spirit, with a love and an adoration for Jesus and everything that he's done for us and won for us. Would you come, Lord Jesus?